0: All right, y'all, we have a very, very, very special guest today, Dr. Will Tegel, uh, whom I have spoken about many times on this podcast in the past. He is the author of, I believe, eight different books, Um, Walking with Bears, I would put in the top 10 of any books I've ever read. We discuss that briefly. We get into his background and we really talk about what is emerging new in one of the most brilliant and deeply spiritual and connected elders that I've ever had the pleasure of mentoring under and sitting with on this podcast. I know you guys are going to absolutely love this. Um, Will is 81 years of brilliance and uh, you really get that coming through in this podcast. And I'm just thrilled that I finally got the time to sit with him out at his place in Wimberley, Texas, and uh, took the deep dive with him. And I will be sure to bring him back on the show uh, when our schedules line up and our paths cross. So enjoy this one. There are many ways you can support this podcast. First and foremost, leave us a five-star rating. That way other people learn and hear about the show and also support our wonderful sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Sovereignty. Sovereignty has reformulated their old supplement purpose to what's now called Purpose Plus. Purpose Plus is an Ayurvedic-inspired super formula that tackles daily energy and peak performance, and it's going to allow you to empower and support your mind and body to achieve new levels of productivity. Purpose Plus is a powerful blend of herbs and supporting constituents that energize and deliver what customers have described as Zen Focus. This Zen Focus is the result of a very careful combination of over 25 adaptogenic herbs, CBD and CBG and seven clinically studied ingredients with scientifically supported synergistic supplements chosen for their support of cognition, energy, and mood, the result is focus you can feel. Sovereignty powdered supplements make a functional drink that is perfect for boosting your mood, workouts, meeting your deadlines, and studies have shown that the clinically studied ingredients in it could even boost your sexual performance. Not happy with your results? They offer a money-back guarantee on your first purchase within the first 30 days of your purchase. Use code KKP for 20% off your purchase. Just head over to HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y dot C-O slash Kyle to grab my favorite CBG supplements. Again, Sovereignty.co slash Kyle will link to it in the show notes. We are also brought to you by C60 Purple Power. It's my new favorite health hacking tool. C60 Carbon 60 is a super antioxidant that lifts the oxidative burden at the cellular level. It's basically like a free radical sponge that helps you fight inflammation, boost immune function, increase energy and mental clarity naturally. My friends at C60 Purple Power have told me that I might even recover faster from my workouts. And you know what? It's true. I have recovered much, much better from my workouts. I've been working out more consistently now than I have since lockdown started really. So in a year and a half worth of, of working out very little and getting back into the game, everybody knows it's harder to get back what you once lost. Well, some people say it's easier due to muscle memory, but I, I, it's always harder to make a comeback. And c 60s allowed me to make a graceful comeback into all the things that I love from lifting weights to doing jujitsu and, and playing with my son, most importantly. C60 Purple Power is phenomenal for all things health and wellness. Most users notice an increase in energy and mental clarity after 30 days of daily use. A teaspoon a day added to your morning routine is all you need. Head on over to C60PurplePower.com and use code KKP for 15% off your first order or use the link below that we have in the show notes. Again, code word KKP at checkout for 15% off C60PurplePower.com. We are also brought to you by my boys at Bi Optimizers. If you've ever said you're going to go with your gut, it's not just a saying. Your gut really is connected to your brain and signals pass back and forth between the two. Unfortunately, 74% of Americans are suffering from digestive problems like gas, bloating, abdominal pain. This is a sign that your microbiome is out of balance and that your gut-brain connection isn't working the way it should. This is bad news because... Gut problems also affect your mood and happiness. How is this possible? Well, 90% of your serotonin is created in your gut, and serotonin plays a big part in how happy you feel. If your gut is out of balance, it could disrupt the normal production and cycling of serotonin, and you won't feel as happy and as positive as you normally do. Here's the good news. If you rebalance your gut, you'll start to feel better physically and emotionally, and your gut-brain connection will be restored. Even better, this doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out process. You can change your gut microbiome and start feeling better in as little as 72 hours. Here's how to do it. My friends at Bioptimizers have developed an exciting new formula that combines cutting edge nutrition that would normally be found in two separate products. This breakthrough formula combines powerful probiotics and prebiotics to restore the balance in your gut, plus 17 nootropic and adaptogenic brain herbs to enhance mood, manage stress, and improve memory. It's all in one formula called Cognibiotics. And it's the perfect solution for supporting your gut health, brain health, and mental health all at the same time. Oh, and here's the best part. Cognibiotics comes with a full one-year guarantee. So I encourage you to try it risk-free and see for yourself how much better you feel. Simply go to cognibiotics.com slash Kingsboo and use Kingsboo10 to receive 10% off any order. Again, that's C O G N I B I O T I C. S. Dot com slash kingsboo. And of course, we'll have that link to in the show notes. Last but not least, we are brought to you by one of my favorite nootropics on the planet that stacks well with sovereignty and all the other goodies that I take. It is Lucy.co. Lucy was developed by Caltech scientists who were former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative and researched and developed this for three years. They created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that has three flavors wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. Lucy also has a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine and cherry ice flavor. These products can be enjoyed anywhere on flights, at work, on the go, even in the gym, which I absolutely love. As I've mentioned before, Nicotine and nootropics bode very well for high-intensity exercise. When you've tuned in your brain to the exercise, you're going to get more out of your output, whether that's max effort squatting, deadlifting, bench pressing, or doing any kind of workouts that you've seen me do while I was at on it, from kettlebell workouts to steel maces to Bulgarian bags with my boy, Mike Salemi, all of these things matter, and nicotine can help improve performance on every level but you don't want to smoke it (laughs) for all the many reasons you don't want to smoke it. Certainly not with exercise, but give this gum a try. It is sure to give you the spark you've been looking for. And of course, we got to do a disclaimer. This product contains nicotine derived from tobacco and nicotine is an addictive chemical. Call to action. We got 20% off any order applicable to all products at lucy.co. That's L-U-C-Y dot C-O and use promo code KKP at checkout. Again, 20% off everything in the store. Lucy.co with KKP at checkout. And without further ado, my friend, my teacher, Dr. Will Tagle. Dr. Will Tagle, it is so nice to sit with you again and finally get you on the podcast here. I'm glad to be with you, uh, Kyle. <laughs> I've uh, spoken... A number of times about one of your many books, Walking with Bears. Mm-hmm. It is um, an absolute treasure uh-huh. and is connected through beautiful language, many of the felt experiences that I've had that couldn't put to words. Ah. And I, I want to I dive deep and be mindful of your time, but dive deep into your education, who you are, the world at large, what you've gleaned from all of your many, many experiences. How you are eighty-one or eighty-nine?
1: I'm in my eighty-first trip around the sun.
0: I love it. <laughs> so we yeah. have much wisdom to extract in a short period of time. Uh, yeah. Um, one of the things that that uh, you spoke about in walking with bears that I think is hilarious and awesome at the same time is. Um, how some of the native elders would talk, not in linear time, but in these loops and cyclical time. Yeah, And you tell the stories through that book so beautifully yeah. you know, with that, with that way. And you, you mentioned before this podcast started, you kind of wanted to take us through a spiral yeah. that started right here in the now and descended back to the beginning and then brought us right back up to the now.
1: Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh, recently had a dream... And in that dream state, I transitioned into a transordinary state. And in that state, I saw Earth hurtling through space. And at first, I thought it was Earth as a spaceship, like uh, Buckminster Fuller said. But I looked closer, and it, it was a, 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 an organism. Uh, with uh, movable shapes, and as I uh, could feel the movement of the organism, it was going at an incredible speed. When I when I woke up, I actually looked it up, and that Earth does move in the solar system around the sun 67,000 miles an hour. And uh, so that corresponded with, with my dream state. And, and as it, I looked closely at this organism, I saw that it had embedded in it a guidance system. And then then I saw that the whole solar system itself was moving in an orbit, an elliptical orbit around the Milky Way. And it was going even faster than the Earth. And embedded in that solar system was another but related and nested guidance system. And then it went on. As these visions often do, I kept seeing nested guidance guidance systems. And... When I returned to a more ordinary state of consciousness, I I was jolted. This wasn't a new idea to me. In fact, it was built on what you just said, uh, all the different turns of the spiral of my life. But what was different was a deep and felt experience of the guidance system. Um. And I found myself saying to a a person that very day, I said, either there is a guidance system or there isn't. Either this is a random happening or there's some movement in a particular direction placed there by a beloved creator who, as a manifestation Of energy. So uh, then I began thinking about how the different ways that I have linked and we as humans link with this guidance is because we have an internal guidance system that's quite elegant and complex um, that is analogous to this larger guidance system so that I was seeing clearly and experiencing the earth actually has an immune guidance intelligence analogous and linked deeply with us. So again, that wasn't new, but the experience and seeing it And feeling it was very different. And I'm going to say a little headline, and then I'll spiral down. Um, So over the last millennia, Mother Earth has had a strategy of linking us to this guidance system by inviting us in various ways to move out of human-dominated culture into that dimension of nature that is little influenced by humans. Dreams are an example of that. Uh, psychedelics are an example of that. Vision questing it has been one of her primary cross-cultural links with this guidance system. So downloads come, and they're pieced together in a mosaic in a variety of ways. So that's been her strategy. And it's been one that, that uh, uh, we'll talk about how I got linked with that. But in this dream, I saw she's shifting her strategy. She's transcending that. She's going to include it, but there's something much larger going on. And, and this is really important, I think, for us to see. Uh, if there's a major shift in the guidance system within Mother Earth, and and we're a part of her cells, then the more awareness we have of this, the more we ourselves can evolve in our consciousness. So here's here's the shift. She's been calling us out, like you just got back from Costa Rica, and I travel all over the world and eco journeys and so on. She calls us out so we can disengaged from the dominance of our culture, the paradigm that we live in. But now, something different. The wild, I define the wild as that domain, that dimension of nature, little influenced by humans. She is bringing that into our houses Think about that. So you 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 asked me how Judith and I did during this polar vortex freeze we had when uh, 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 civilization's grid in Texas uh, uh, went kaput. Uh, so I said to Judith any number of times, probably precipitated this dream. I said to her any number of times, The wild mother has come into our house. Here we are sitting. We can't even get out of the house. No emergency vehicle could come up here. Our solar panels were covered up with snow. All of the plans I had made for these uh, upheavals in climate were centered in the South and hurricanes, but I hadn't counted on this freeze coming and i said to her time and again the wild has come calling and she didn't knock on our door she just came right in and here we sit with her this is a very different strategy that she is undertaken to connect us with a form of consciousness needed at this moment for the evolution of our lives and of the planet. That's what I think. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, I can go back to the beginning if you'd like. (laughs) <laughs> let, let let's do that
0: this okay. is this is awesome. I'm, my wheels are still spinning right now thinking about that. I've oftentimes um you know thought about this this upheaval with the shift in climate and with uh you know the books like uh, the Six Extinction and things like that yeah. like how, how nature responds to that and um that resonates you know there's there's a a, a children's book. Uh, it 's similar I think it 's written by the same people that do frog and toad's wild adventures, uh, but it 's with the uh, the owl or yeah. the, the old owl sits in and he's you know he 's hanging out by the fireplace, drinking his broth uh, and uh he sees there 's a huge snowstorm outside, so he opens the door and invites winter in, yeah, and winter comes blowing in through his house and blows out the fire and freezes his pea soup and it 's not very nice, yeah. you know and he, he says don't come back you know and shoo's the winter out yeah but i I think of that that story. As um, an inherent way of if we can listen, we can integrate and and if co-evolve with nature and where we're at right now, as opposed to needing nature to literally kick open the door and say, pay attention to me.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, yes. Uh, let's see how to put it. Let's just pick a Let's pick a a figure. Let's say humans began to be upright about 4 million years ago. Could be 400 million, uh, depending on how you look at the cycle of time. But uh, a long time. And we have had protection from these larger, massive forces of nature that you and I are talking about only for about the last 150 or 200 years. And in this part of the world, only since 1968, that's when we got refrigerated air. Before that, we had to live with the... Force of heat coming into our house. And the only protection we had was running water over a fan called uh, that particular kind of heating. And I had a a friend that helped me start. uh, He was uh, our Center for Creative Resources, an Earth Tribe. And he uh, was vice president of one of the largest oil companies. And on August afternoon, he called me and He he said, I'm I'm on my way home. It was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going home. We closed down the whole skyscraper. And I was new to Houston at the time. I said, well, well, what's up with that? And he said, look outside. I looked outside and there was this huge thunderstorm. I said, okay, I see it. He said, I'm going home to make love. We go home. To make love in Houston when it's cool enough to make love, <laughs> and so just since 1968, we have refrigerated lovemaking. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you see, we haven't. We've distanced ourselves further and further away from from these massive forces. So, for let's say. Uh, Several million years, humans have had to live in in the grasp of, like the owl, of the winter, in the grasp of the freeze, of the hurricane, of the wildfires. And until this last experience I had with the freeze, I didn't realize that there is a form of consciousness that comes from being grasped in this massive force that I haven't been able to get any other way. What is the deep sense that happens in me when uh, I—it's different when I go on a vision quest or some kind of meditation— where I'm stepping into it. But when it comes to me and it, I, it's beyond my control, what wisdom do I distill from that? And I believe that's a form of wisdom that Mother Earth is wanting us to recover, that we've lost. There's a, there's a You've got a, a wonderful statement on your T-shirt today, fear is not a virtue. And there's a statement in the uh, Old Testament, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I hate that. <laughs> and and it was one of the reasons, I'll get back to this later, but one of the reasons why I, I, I moved out beyond that, that tradition. But I, I'm thinking, and then I translated it, well, it's thought. Awe of the mystery that's the beginning of wisdom. But after these massive experiences, I'm thinking there's some another piece of it, and that is the humility and vulnerability that comes to mix in to birth a wisdom that's uniquely suited for our day. And that's not a really... Uh, Popular thought to have as you're trucking down the road, listening to a podcast. Hey, <laughs> I need to get more vulnerable and find humility. This is this is not exactly going to sell very well. Right? What you're speaking to is something
0: uh, you know. What comes up for me is thinking about Laird Hamilton's experiences with the water. Uh-huh. You know, when you're on a fifty-foot wave. There is the ultimate, and, and even the times where he'd go out surfing and he couldn't ride, yeah. you know, like the, the ability to tune in and ask for permission and the reverence and respect that's necessary to engage with a power as great as the ocean. Yeah. But that is one piece of the whole. Yeah. And I think what you're alluding to is the respect and reverence
1: that we have forgotten for the all, for yeah. the nature that we're in. Yeah. and 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 as with all things— I think the guidance system is telling us you're going to have to experience this, and it's not all pleasant. In fact, it's uh, quite unpleasant.
0: Yeah, I've had guests on that have talked about you know in the the ceremony of humanity, we're in a deep purge right now. Yeah, and or or a deep birthing process, and as a mom gives birth, it's beautiful, but there are very challenging. And painful points in that process.
1: Yeah. Yes. My my daughter says giving birth is like passing a basketball. <laughs> so it's not it's not, not exactly it's not exactly present. Okay. So let's let's descend down the spiral now and kind of uh, get a flavor at least of of how I've come to some of of this dream in particular. So I uh, I grew up as a natural mystic on the Llano Estacado of northwest Texas out near New Mexico with a large tribal influence. And as I began to awaken, uh, the little town I grew up in had a uh, uh, the only person that seemed to be able to even know anything about uh, what I was talking about. I, I had some indigenous teachers, but they were... They were migrant workers, and so they weren't always present. And I needed someone to talk to. And Methodist uh, minister kind of guided me into uh, uh, a Judeo-Christian uh, context. And so my first, my my undergraduate work was, uh, was uh, in. Uh, uh, English literature and philosophy and psychology and so on, and then I did a, a, a uh, gr- uh, my first graduate work was in uh, philosophy and theology, and that led me uh, uh, kind of distanced me from my roots, my natural roots, and I got further away. And I woke up one day and felt like uh, I didn't know the wild inner world that was going on. And so I um, eventually uh, found uh, graduate work and therapy myself as a, a psychologist, an eco psychologist, and, and did uh, uh, a doctoral work in that direction. And then I practiced psychotherapy. And then I read, so then I came around the spiral, and then I came. And, and, and when I turned around the theological, philosophical spiral, I was pretty certain about things. And then I ran into complexity inside, and that spun me into this next turn where uh, I trained as a psychologist and began to explore my inner world. And then, to my great surprise, after a number of years, I reached the end of that turn. I thought, well, my, my patients, my clients were saying, okay, we feel a little better, but what now? And I thought, I don't know. Uh, it's out beyond my training and that's when I returned to the tribal, uh, indigenous perspective uh, that had influenced me as a child, and uh, that's uh, I wrote uh, uh, "Walking with Bears" to tell the story of of the journey of uh, finding a, a, a mentor that felt authentic to me. Uh, there were many. Uh, kind of false starts with that. So, um, I was uh at a uh summer conference call for the American Academy of Psychotherapists uh in uh in New Mexico, and we had the practice. This was a group you had to be uh elected to, and so on, is uh, um, a lot of really great people in there, uh, and we were pretty arrogant, too. <laughs> and and uh, so wherever we went, we went all over the United States to beautiful places, and we'd get a little local color to come in and entertain us. Well, uh, to, the important thing we did was all of our stuff, but we'd have like clog dancers or whatever. So someone in New Mexico, we were at a place called Ghost Ranch, and uh 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 right next door to George O'Keefe's place. And it was a great place near Abiquiú, New Mexico. And so uh they had uh engaged Bearhart to come speak at lunchtime to uh entertain us. A little local color, uh Sort of thing, very, very uh, uh, patriarchal. uh, uh, Not, not disrespectful, but, but really not uh, getting what what that culture might have to say. So, uh, I was eating breakfast, and they knew of my interest. And by this time, I was exploring a lot anyway with different indigenous people. And so the uh, Daryl Dawson, the uh, psychoanalyst who was the kind of the chairperson, came to my table and said, Hey, the guy, the guy that's supposed to be here at noon showed up at sunrise this morning, and he's out there sitting under a tree. We don't know what to do, and he's really not talking to us. So would you go out there and see what you can do? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I went out and just sat down beside him, didn't say anything, and we sat for quite some time. And I, eventually I said, uh, are you bare heart? And he said, yes. And I said, you know they're expecting you to speak at lunch. And he said, uh, well, I'm here now, and this is where I'm sitting. We were under a big cottonwood tree. He said, this is a good place. And so right away, I knew I had linked with a guidance system in a a fresh way. Uh, That my journey with theology and philosophy and then becoming a scientist had all been links in a way. But this was something qualitatively different. I sense that right away. You know how in a dream you're dreaming and you you just dream along and it's about you and your issues, your mother, your father, whatever. And then all of a sudden an archetypal piece of it will come forward. And even in your dream world, you say, oh, this is really different. This is much bigger. That's the way I felt. And, uh, so about that time, uh, one of the uh, key people came by, and I, I was supposed to lead a seminar this m- that morning. He said, are you going to go lead your seminar? I said, T- just tell them I'm staying here. And, uh, and, and they asked Barrett, said, well, are you going to speak? He said, no. He said, uh, anybody who wants to talk to me can come here under the tree. And he said, I'm, I'm sending out little filaments of light, and they'll connect with whoever needs to come. And uh, that was a completely new notion to me. And I won't dwell on that too long, but before long, there were about 50 or so people lined up. And he would they were at these are leading scientists, psychological scientists, psychiatrists, and so on of the United States. And and here they were lined up with this simple man. And every one of them, Kyle, had some vulnerability. I'd known them for years, but they had some vulnerability that they had kept hidden from us, that they were willing to bring to the feet. Of this man, so we were there all day long, till the sun went down. And uh, when the sun went down, he he, uh, patted me on the back and said, "You didn't do too bad today." (laughs) (laughs) And I said, "You know, I'd like to, I like to see where this takes us." So. On the back of an old scrap of paper, he wrote his phone number. And that's how we got started. That lasted for a couple of three decades. So that's that was really I realized over that period of time that uh and eventually I got another doctorate in ecophysics. Uh but but that was just to clarify. The deep connections I was discovering in this uh, relationship that was growing, and he—it's interesting. He, after he died, his his wife uh, Regina Water Spirit said, "You know, Bearhart never thought of you as his mentee." I said, "Well, I thought of him as a mentor." She said, "No, he—he he thought that you were exchanging." Wisdom, that's the kind of person he was. And uh, so from there, the two of us founded a spiritual community called the Earth Tribe. And uh, uh, that, that provided the, the soil, the matrix out of which uh, this dream I told in the beginning came
0: i love it i got water in my eyes as i just think about the i'm actually not thinking about it i'm feeling into moments like that that occur in our lives that are so powerful it's a clear delineation you know you reference the dream when the archetype comes in or the symbology comes in Mm. that is so potent that even within the dream you're like holy shit pay attention this is it and um there's been several of those in my life. And as the awareness grows, I can pay attention to those more often. You um, would call those synchronicities, but I think they're, you know, in hindsight as we look, they're, they clearly shift us and open us in a way that's, that's beyond linear time or beyond uh, a previous framework of how we viewed the world.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you uh one of the stories that i love is is you know you from the psychology piece and having studied jung and understood so much of the psyche and, and it's brilliant work and i love jung um some of the uh pitfalls and how that wasn't necessarily bringing people to complete healing in your initial work with bearheart and then with uh, other elders how, uh, how they treated you initially was almost, you know, like, let's laugh at this little kid, you yeah, know, like, yeah, like <laughs> yeah. does that work? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, talk about some of the key differences between what you learned in high-level education, you know, the best of what we offer in the West as opposed to what uh, these elders were bringing forward in terms of the potentials of nature and, and how they did things differently.
1: Yeah, well, uh, one of my... Uh, Mentors, though I didn't ever meet him, was uh, David Baum, the uh, physicist. And, and David Baum describes, in terms of physics, how we live in a toroidal system. And uh, from just for the moment, thinking about underneath, there's a generative system. And the, gener- the and is according to him, this is not chaos. It appears as chaos, but it's really ferment. And out of the ferment, then comes a particular form of consciousness that might be an automobile, or a, or a great insight, or a, a theory of physics, or uh, an insight into you and your mother. It, but it comes out of that, uh, and and it and it. Proceeds around and comes, eventually loses its potence and disintegrates, dissipates. The great uh, physicist, chemist uh, Ilya Prigogine got the Nobel Prize for what he called dissipative structures. That is, these forms that emerge out of the cauldron uh, come up, and eventually, all nations, all people, all things dissipate and move back in to the ferment and so um, I bring up David Baum as an illustration of your question because um, he he couldn't find any people in the world of physics that really understood what he was intuiting and proposing in the world of physics and he really got depressed about that it's a whole, Beautiful and disturbing story uh, uh, about how the United States pirated his research to help create the uh, atomic bomb and so on. But uh, toward the end of his life, he had a colleague by the name of David Pete, And David was uh, over in Canada vacationing, and he connected with uh, 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 the Blackfoot uh, tribe. And he saw that the language that they used was verb-based and not noun-based the way uh, English is, German, whatever. And so he sent a message to David Baum, and he said, you got to come over here. I think these people understand you. And so eventually he resisted, but eventually he came over, and David Pete describes how he sat in the, in the circle with, with the elders and And they began drumming and, and David Baum was a very reserved scientist and David Pete talks about how he how he was kind of rigid and depressed and before too long, his foot began to tap, and he began to move his body just a little bit as the drumming and the chanting began to grow and and uh. And he explored with them their link with this guidance system. And he said, These people get me. They know what I'm talking about. At last I've found someone. And and that would describe me. Uh, uh, As you know in the book, Bearhart and I often disagreed. And we had fights and we had and we'd we'd get mad at each other and wouldn't talk for a little while and then we'd we'd come back together. And so it wasn't all just uh sweetness and light, but it was dynamic and 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 throughout it all I knew not just Bearhart, but but this perspective gets me and allows me, and it's dynamic and open. And uh, Another example of that is once I was on a vision quest with with Hart and and um, we were out in the middle of uh of the wilderness in s- southern Colorado and uh we had been in a sweat lodge it was it was a sweat lodge that consisted mainly of of uh, 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 wise and holy people, but a lot of young men like me at the time that thought thought we needed uh we needed that hit you know, and so Bearhart had us in the swell lodge for about five hours, and uh people were peeling out of there, and there were just a few of us left. I was lying there on the on the ground and so when I came out when when we went in this was in May when we went in it was about 70 degrees at 4:30 or 5 in the afternoon and when we came out 5 or 6 hours later it was below freezing So I'm lying there uh next to the fire in this particular case we were nude and 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 I was steam pouring off of me and I was wondering how I was gonna get up and go to my vision site. And Bearhart came over and he 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 hadn't put on his clothes yet. So I looked down and all I saw was a big toenail. And he kicked me gently with that and he said, You okay? And I just said, I guess so. And he said, go find your site. Well, that is not the kind of vision quest we work with because it's it was for a particular situation, but it was needed to get through my resistance. And that's what I'm talking about. That. That's been Mother Earth's strategy and will continue to be a beautiful way of doing of, of of birthing a form of consciousness. But time is wrapping in on itself now in terms of the Earth story, and we we can talk about the prophecies later. But but this this is nearly nearly all the wisdom traditions even the scientific wisdom tradition is saying hey we're 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 in we're in uncharted water here and so as mother earth wraps into this this strategy of reaching us and jolting us the way he jolted me with his big toenail is uh, i think what we're about yeah i, I think it's uh Having
0: participated in sweats and a lot of warrior sweats, you know, my first my first coach would take us through Tim's calls, which are you know a Southern tradition, and uh, it was all fighters, so he'd he'd kick our ass pretty yeah. thoroughly in there, but not five hours, yeah, and certainly not as the uh, you know the the starting course before four days without food or water,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: you know that that's a pretty high level entry point. Yeah when you consider the, the depths of a, a vision quest in and of itself but that as an entry point for a sweat lodge in tandem is certainly that's uh, not recommendable for anybody obviously that was the perfect scenario for you yeah for it was, the people it, it was
1: good because i am a slow learner and uh, but we have found in this time space that when you step into this particular kind of space Linear time really doesn't matter five hours or four days or whatever i've had in fact recently I've had people who, because of the pandemic and various other reasons go go out for only uh four or five hours at, in linear time and they step into this uh Kairos moment, this eternal moment and and the visions are are just as significant as otherwise. So I think part of what we're gonna have to learn is, what is it like to live in cyclic time? Uh, that we're so dominated in our mainstream culture by the inner pusher, the inner clock keeper, that uh, we hardly even know, I don't hardly even know how to live without being dominated by that part of myself. Recently, I started. I don't know if you've ever done this, but uh, oh, the last maybe six months or a year. You, I know a lot of your listeners are interested in health and and uh, food and so on, and so I uh, uh, have a wonderful garden, and I'm eating out of that garden, and that garden. Really saved me during the freeze. You, you know, uh, my spinach made it through this zero weather up here. I, what what is up with spinach? <laughs> Everything else died. Oh, I'll tell you what. I'm eating that spinach. But uh, in recent times, I got the idea of not multitasking with my food, so I eliminated conversation uh any kind of device and i sit and look down a canyon and chew my food until it becomes paste that's hard to do that takes time too it takes we don't want
0: to give time to meals or anything else
1: (laughs) right it takes time and and uh i find myself taking really big spoonfuls you know uh uh, trying to find shortcuts because, and then I thought in in my psychology I talk about the inner council of selves, S E L V E S. So we have many little guys that live inside of us: the pusher, the critic, the lover, the warrior, the, the you know the the pleaser, and so on. And one day, as I was chewing my food, I realized that most of my life, the self that has been eating my food is just as important as the food. Just think about that for a minute. Who, who, are, who is the self that's actually putting the food in your mouth? For me, it's the pusher. Has been pretty much all my life. When I was in school, uh, I I would uh, get up and I had to be at school at a certain time, and so I'm watch I'm eating my breakfast. So I'm looking at the clock, and then all the way through, you know, I'm practicing psychology, psychotherapy, and okay, I've got a I got to get from my house to my office, and I've got so much time, and you know, and 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 so what am I doing? The food is coming through my inner pusher. That is not good for that was, digestion. That was
0: me this morning, right before this podcast. I was like, well, it's going to take me an hour to get to Wimberley, and I got to cram in this delicious Lamborghini from Belcampo as fast as I can before I get out the door because I don't want to eat it in the car. That's- it's, it's funny as psychology because I was like, well, if I eat in the car, I'm not paying attention to the food. So I thought if I rushed it <laughs> and at least looked at it, that would be better than sitting in the car and doing it. Either way, it's not actually allowing that to take place in, in a in a calm and and reverent way you know it's just fitting it into my schedule fitting this in before I go
1: you're right and and, and, and I, don't know, I, I love social meals I love fellowship when we take groups down to uh, Teotihuacan and and we eat with my my tall Tech brothers and sisters and the Mexica Aztecs, one of the highlights is eating this incredible food and having these incredible conversations. However, I'm seeing that that needs to be like the exception and the kind of the frosting on the cake. Most of the time, for me, I think my body, my mind, my spirit – would be greatly served better by just eating. And I invite your uh, listeners just to try one experiment and and, and to take one meal and not, not have music on, don't do anything, but eat and look at some more natural area as you eat and see what that's like. Just do it one time, see what it's like. I love that.
0: Well, I do want to dive back into the Vision Quest, at yeah. least um in part. You know, one of the, the things that you point out, and I don't think it was your first, I believe your first was uh kind of a a funny tale when you were younger with Oreo cookies and no elders. Right. But um uh it might have been that, that one you described with Bearheart where the hummingbirds came to you.
1: Yeah. Can yeah. you
0: dive into that and and the mother tongue and yeah. nature's ability to communicate with us?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so th- th- this is really a very different wisdom tradition, if you think about it. There's a wonderful lizard going down the pole. You can't see him. He's right on the other side from you. Just as you brought up the mother tongue, here comes this lizard about this long. Uh, so that would be an example of the mother tongue, that does uh, that, the lizard tells us about the primal, Origin of wisdom, and um, so back to the hummingbird. So it was that same time. Uh, uh, this was a very advanced experience, and and I, I I don't talk much about it because I don't want people to think they need to do this kind of thing, because Bearheart and I eventually saw. This was really for experienced indigenous people that had this long-term experience. But, but I had to get my clothes on and walk about a mile in the dark of night to find my vision site, and I was cold and near hypothermia. And so I got there, and I got in an old, uh, smelly uh, sleeping bag that I hadn't checked out, and I was glad to be in it. And I began to regenerate and feel my body kind of come back to another equilibrium. And uh, just somewhere in that state of consciousness, uh, a hummingbird came and was right in front of me and just was there. And when it was right, Here on my ear, it sounded like a a tornado in my first vision quest, but it was just tiny little hummingbird, and the the feeling that I had was similar to the one that I started this podcast with, that. I knew, I didn't know to express it like this, but I knew I was linking in with some kind of sacred guidance system and that my life from that point on would be on another trajectory. I, I, I wish we could uh, uh, get on the camera this lizard who's he's just to your left there. Oh, there he goes. So, yeah. And and I want to bring up something here because I don't want us to over-idealize the indigenous people. Because uh, as I've experienced with, with uh, my Meshaka, Aztec, and Taltec friends over the decades— Our human communities go in cycles. And so we're learning that that the the Toltec and and the ancient people that preceded them at Teotihuacan, they, they built a civilization that was in many ways superior to Europe of the Renaissance. And just recently, the... Uh, a Harvard research project has has deciphered their writing. Through these years, uh, Western scientists said they they really didn't the the Mayas and the Aztecs and and their civilization they didn't write, but they discovered. Yes, it was very advanced. In fact, according to this research project, the most the most Elegant language on the planet today is Japanese. I didn't know that. And uh, they say this language was comparable to Japanese in terms of its elegance. So it was a very advanced, and yet as their civilization itself was a dissipated form. And it came around, and as it as it as it got in a more destructuring phase, then the, there was human sacrifice. There, there was, there was, a, there were excesses. There, there were many of the issues that we have. And because we, we say, well, you have the indigenous people and you have the civilized people and I haven't realized that the indigenous people, we've been we've been through this cycle many, many, many times as we're discovering. And we're just now getting to the point to be humble enough to look at ancient cultures as informative uh, to who we are. and uh, So uh, I went down that cubby hole there, but rabbit hole, but I wanna say one of the things they did is in the latter part of their structure, the destructuring, the the Aztecs viewed the hummingbird as a bird of war. But in its earlier phases, it was the bird of the great peacemaker. So if you follow the hummingbird, in some ways, you can follow the course of the maturity of a civilization. And so that was the that was my my and and I began to see hey this is a sensual experience and I had been in the judeo christian tradition where where it's a more transcendental experience in fact you're supposed to be a little suspicious of your sensual your sensuality and I think it was one of the it was paul that said you know if you see a beautiful Person and you have a sexual thought. You, sh- you rather than get involved in that. You should cut your eye out. Well, that, <laughs> that, that a lot that of blind people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. And and, and, and and then in many of the Eastern traditions, it's you you your your mind is you don't want to you, you're seeing the connection you have with the natural order is seen as a problem attachment is a source of suffering, according to some traditions. And there's a truth there, but there's also the greater truth that it's in that very deep connection with the hummingbird that consciousness of this sort was birthed, in my experience.
0: Hmm. That's got my mind spinning in all places, but I'm... I'm. Uh... I'm reminded of it, I think it's in uh early in mark the reference to jesus's trip to the desert. can you bring that up i love it. I love it when you mention this
1: well i you know i've I've sought to integrate uh, my various turns on the spiral, and Mark is the oldest of the stories about Jesus and just written about 15 years after he died, but that's a considerable time. But some of the stories about him were nearly 100 years later after he died. And so this is to be taken really, the earlier the story, the more uh, you have to pay attention to it. So Jesus came down from the mountains down into the desert where John the ba- Baptist was. And John the Baptist was this shamanic figure who was running around in in uh, uh, animal skins and eating grasshoppers, <laughs> grasshoppers and honey, and and he he they went down to the river and went down into the river and came out and and when Jesus came out there there's this this uh, dove that came and the dove led him into his quest, as I say. Uh, and so he he sits in his circle, and there's this p- little passage there in the first chapter. They're not talking about anything else. They say the wild animals came to him and ministered to him. That was the seed of That was his hummingbird. That was the seed of his awakening. It's amazing to me that we would overlook that. There's a whole school. Uh, I wrote about that in the 1980s, but, and, and I'm not a New Testament scholar, but there's a whole school of New Testament scholars now that are seeing that Jesus was very much in that tradition as opposed to uh, other people of his era. Yeah, I'm surprised that is
0: overlooked cuz you know similarly the buddha spent his proverbial 40 days under the bodhi tree. Yeah, reconciling darkness. Yeah, and learning from
1: nature. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and that that that's that's really different uh kind of wisdom tradition where Uh, I I was at Abiquiu once and going to uh, a meditation experience. And so they took me back to this little cell, and I was going to stay there for, uh, I think it was two days or something. And they would slide the food under the table and so under the door. And it was an absolutely incredible day. I came in this little dark room. And I know deprivation is good, and, and that, that's one link with the guidance system. But after about an hour or so, I said, this, this, this is not for me. So I opened the door and walked out because it's two different linkages. And I believe, for me at least, the primal connection is where I have my consciousness blossom. You
0: know, it's funny you, you mentioned that, the differentiation between that. And I've thought often about this. You know, I've, I've come to you on many nature walks yeah. uh, seeking your guidance. And um, in particular, we walked uh, with regards to my, my uh, the darkest experience I've ever gone through, which I've recently done a solo cast on with the Sonoran Desert Toad, 5 MEO DMT. Yeah. And one of the questions you had was, where were you? Right. Yeah. What was the environment the container like? Yeah, you know, being indoors. Um, it was nighttime instead of daytime. We were in a small room versus you know mm-hmm. a big cathedral-like living room or something like that. You know, those were all all factors, and they always are. Uh, Aubrey Marcus, my dear friend, had done a um, a trip to the darkness out in Germany, and mm-hmm. he had a beautiful experience. But it was mm-hmm. six days, no no light whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. the old cave stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking about that. The difference between a dark room. Versus an actual cave, mm-hmm. you know, as you, you set off on your journey and crawl inside of a giant mountain, which holds its own resonance and its own energy versus
1: being in just a dark room, Yeah, you know, the difference there. Oh, because it's a tuning device and, and uh, you get different channels to, to get that, that notion.
0: Yeah, you Maladoma see. Patrice Some talks about that in of water and spirit, you know, in his initiation, you yeah. know, climbing into the cave and coming out of the other door, there, the other side.
1: Yeah, well, uh, the ancient stories of the, uh, of the people around Teotihuacan, the pyramids, they told about uh, two, two humans who went into a cave and they went into this cave, and the cave, according to the stories, was a clover leaf with each little cave being in one of the ordinal directions. So for years, the archaeologists said, "You know well, that's a good story, but there's it, it's not there's not any reference to that and there was a thunderstorm uh uh, about 30 years ago down there, and it washed out the bottom of the Pyramid of the Sun, a, a little spot, and they found this tunnel that went under the Pyramid of the Sun and led into the cave. That's, that's the heart of the whole vision of Kutz, and, uh, uh and uh, uh, and And so I actually had the joy of going in that tunnel the way Tezcatlapoca and Cutscatl did and, and went and sat in the different, different caves that jutted out from that. And then the pyramid is on top of that. So if you think of, I'm using this as an example of a, of a tuning device. So, so there's a lot of difference between being in a dark little cell and uh, a deprivation tank. Uh, yeah, to deprive yourself of your senses for a moment is good, but it opens another sense, and you have these tuning devices like the pyramids, and the cave itself is producing the pyramid, produce the vision that these two humans got. I say two humans because sometimes their brother's Sometimes they're lovers. Sometimes they're heterosexual lovers. Sometimes they're homosexual lovers. So we don't know, but they were closely connected. And out of this came a whole scientific revolution out of this tuning of this cave. But it's a very sensual thing. When I was in that cave, very sensual. I can smell, I can feel the rock, the rocks themselves. Uh, are alive and and vivid in their ability and i think it was einstein who said a rock is just light moving at a very slow pace so it's uh, there's a lot of difference in in where you are as to your access to the guidance system that we talked about earlier yeah, the
0: thing that's resonating with me right now is the you know the old adage from Dennis McKenna and a lot of the great psychonauts, whereas yeah. you know the what religion gives you as um, almost as a take my word for it, versus in theogens and a lot of the practices we're talking about, from vision quests to the cave, the caves inside the pyramids, as direct experience of the thing they're pointing towards you know, and that it, the direct experience of that is sensual. It is visceral. It's through every cell of your knowing, every cell of your being. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, the, the first time I sat with ayahuasca and could see and feel simultaneously the animistic nature of the world to see the soul and the, the, the source in and in end of all things just blew me away. Like it's, it's an unforgettable experience that, that, is inarguable in my mind. It's now nothing's concrete, but at the same time, um, that experience couldn't have been taught to me in a book.
1: No, no, you're right. And, and, and this is, we're, we're talking about different channels and accesses to forms of consciousness. So there are many different, I mean, the, the world grows out of, of consciousness, but every, everything, like the rock, is a form of consciousness. It's a very dense form and different, different kind of consciousness at the level that we're talking about than what we have, but still has the same uh, matrix. And so when you tune into a particular way of approaching consciousness, then whatever channel you're using, you're going to be limited by that channel. Like, if, if you go on a vision quest, that is going to give you a form of consciousness that is related to but different from ayahuasca. And, and ayahuasca is different from peyote and so on. Uh, I, I was thinking about a story, uh, Quanta Parker, uh, who's uh, important in my life. So uh Quanta Parker grew up where I grew up and and so when he came on the reservation um he he thought seriously about becoming a Methodist uh and that that was the tradition that that uh I went through so the Methodist bishop came and said well, we hear you want to become a Methodist, but uh, they have certain things you you need to do, like he had eight wives, and <laughs> and, and he that's he, a challenge. He he he, <laughs> he, built, he built a house that had eight bedrooms. This was a guy who came out of Stone Age gathering, and within a few years was uh, being. Uh, Deeply connected to the president, uh, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. so a remarkable person. And I, I love him because of his ability to transition. And that's what we need right now. Anyway, he, he said to the Methodist bishop, well, I have some questions of you. He said, as far as I can tell, You sing about Jesus, and you talk about Jesus, and you read about Jesus. But in our teepees, we actually have Jesus sitting there with us, and we can see him. Do you have anything like that? And Connor Parker's oldest son, his name was White, became a Methodist minister. But... Quanta Parker said, no, I'm not going to do that because I want to have the direct connection with the actual living presence. And um, I think that's really a different channel. See, It's a different form of consciousness. So reading about, singing about, that's good. You get a form of consciousness there. But... This other form. Once you've tasted of that, you see uh, other things are footnotes. That's a great way of putting it. Mm-hmm. We well,
0: you studied from so many different people, both uh, you know the greats in physics as well as psychology and understanding the psyche, and as well as many different elders and cultures from a young age, working with Toltec as migrants and. Um, your relationship with Quanta Parker and, of course, Bearhart Williams and, and many others that I can't even begin to name. You've studied a lot about prophecy. Mm-hmm. And we've spoken about that this before on some of our walks with the Hopi prophecy. Can you mm-hmm. unpack the Hopi prophecy and some of the other cultural prophecies from the Mayans to different teachings that you've gone under and how these correlate together in our time?
1: Correlate is a good word. Uh, very, very promising word. Uh. Well, a few headlines. The Hopi prophecies are actually an amalgam of visions of many tribes, because White Feather, a Hopi elder, in the nineteen fifties late 40s and 50s, went on a journey around many, many, many tribes, even down into uh, Teotihuacan. And he heard visions that he then melded with the Hopi prophecies. So this was before uh, the the book of prophecy was written. Uh, uh, And so uh, i i was exposed to those before uh the archaeologists and and different uh, students began to coalesce those into a more readable form so some of the headlines from that and and this is also over the years uh, i 've listened to hundreds of visions from people, besides my own, and I have in our tribe we have a book that that uh, people have written down their visions uh, and and sometimes I just read through those, and they uh, all point toward this kind of situation. So, a civilization will come up out of the, uh, out of the, what appears, as I said, as chaos, but is actually ferment. And it will flower and bloom and then lose its energetic connections and begin to dissipate. And according to the, the The integrated prophecies that correspond and correlate with what I've seen myself. this has happened uh, four or five times. And as you know, the uh, paleogeology now has a standard understanding that we Pangaea has happened four times. So you've had the continents come together. Move apart, come together, move apart four times. So we're, we're, in, the, we're in the fifth time of forming a supercontinent, according to geo, paleogeology. And this corresponds, by the way, with these visions that we've, we've had. There have been many, many swirls of civilization. Uh, Arnold Toynbee said 21, I believe it was. But according to these visions, there's only been four or five major forms that have emerged. And now we are moving toward the fifth or sometimes called the sixth. And that's where a lot of the Mayan prophecies speak of 2000 and 2012 and so on. And most of uh, these prophecies are really talking about a transition or a bridge time between dissolution and recreation. And uh, not too far from here is a painting on a rock that I have that shows that we, we are at a, division time where we can either go into oblivion or we can take another route and connect with the mainstream of evolution. And the prophecies all point toward, they have plants that when you reconnect uh, their pictographs and, and this is a recurring archetype that when there's the reconnecting the plants in the new World, the new era, uh, become the focus. So we, in some ways, you could say the visions say we've been through a mammal period, and now we're moving into a, more of a plant-oriented period. So those are a few
0: headlines. I like that. the The thing that I'm specifically thinking of is that painting. I'm thinking of the. I think it's um. Seven, seven beings with their heads disconnected from their body on the top line that, yeah. that take that trajectory that zigzags out of the sacred hoop or yeah. off the planet or into oblivion. Yeah, And I think uh, four, so less than, less than the majority, uh, with their heads connected to their body and their feet connected to the earth that travel on the straight path connected to the earth and usher in this next stage of human consciousness.
1: Yes. 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 And... It's very difficult for us to grasp the significance of this moment that we're in. Uh, having lived through the '60s, I so you know it was the late '70s or '80s before I even began to see what I'd been through, and now I can see. Wow, that was that was really a, a pivotal moment in in the human story. The '60s. However, it's tiny compared to what we're going through now, in my experience. This is, a, this is like the 60s on steroids. <laughs> I mean, we, we are in the midst of something that it's a privilege for us to be a part of it. Because it's so full of possibility and uh, sacrifice. I, I, if if I would say something that, uh, as we kind of come to the close here, that that probably again wouldn't sell very well, and that is, in addition to the fact that we 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 have to find a form of consciousness where we are tiny in the midst of this massive force that has us, like during Hurricane Harvey. The wind blew up here. We, we were just at the edge of it, but the wind blew up here 40 miles an hour with rain, rain, rain for about four days. It just sat there, and about the fourth day, I got out here uh, near the tree, and I just put my head down to the ground, and I said, I don't know what to say. I just bow before the force. And I, I communicated with the hurricane. I said, "Hey, could you give us a break here?" And the hurricane said to me, "Hey, I'm just—I'm really not in charge here. I'm just—I'm just doing what I do. There's some—there's some bigger something here. you have to talk. You'll have to go to the, what I'm calling now, the guidance system." And um, yeah, so there's that form of knowledge and wisdom that is crucial. But it's also really important for us to see that every suffering that we go through, if we're connected through this channel of conscious compassion, of deep love, everything works together correlates for good. And no matter how difficult it seems, and and as you know, I've been through some pretty tough times with my wife. And it all works together to create larger forms of consciousness that can only be had through what we go through. And that's what I would leave with people. Thank you so much, Will.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.